If you would like to, and if you would please, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at three passages of Scripture today that will help you to see them all. There happens to be a Bible app event for this, and you can follow along that way if you would like to. All the Scripture will be in that. If you have the Version Bible app, you know how to do that. You hit the little menu at the bottom, it's probably at the bottom, and look for an event near you, and Kerbinsville Alliance should pop up. If you're online, that event won't be near you. Just type in Kerbinsville. There's several... At least two Kermansville churches, make sure you get Kermansville Alliance or you'll be utterly confused by the uh, notes that are there in the sermon that's being preached. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to begin uh, today. And by the way, I'm going to be using the English Standard Version today, not because it's better or anything like that. It just happens to sound the way I want it to sound today. Uh, the ESV is what I'll be using today. So this week, I ran into a guy who's a pretty good fisherman. Some of you know him. He happens to attend Kerwinsville Alliance Church. Have you seen that little guy? I don't know if you saw that picture in the paper, but he was there. He's four years old when he caught that fish. Four years, I've never caught a trout that big. And, and I fished in Georgia. They have big trout there. That's a big trout, right? He's five now. And uh, here he was. He was with his grandma. And they came to the parsonage. Grandma was stopping by to talk to Laurel about something. I said, look at that. Isn't there a fisherman named Bill Dance? Bill Dance fishing, uh, nobody even remembers him. One of those, yeah, thank you very much for that, yeah. So I thought to myself, it's like having Bill Dance on my front porch. I should ask Jesse, how about some pointers? Can you and your grandma give me some pointers on fishing? Well, he wasn't really sure what that meant. I said, give me some advice. He wasn't really sure what that meant. I said, well, what do I need to know in order to go fishing? And he came up, he and his grandma came up with four things. Number one, stop and get some bait before you go. That you might think that that's obvious, but I think just because it's written on the screen there, somebody must have forgot once. Stop and get some bait before you go. Number two, Jesse and his grandma say, be real quiet so you don't scare the fish. Okay, maybe he heard someone else say that to him a few times, right? Number three is don't be a jerk. No, number three is reel them in carefully. Don't be jerking it, you know, right? And his last piece of advice was have the net ready. Have the net ready. I thought that is some pretty good advice on fishing right there. If you don't take anything else home with you today, at least you learned that, right? This morning's Bible study, I'm sorry, this morning's Bible story is a story of where Jesus calls some guys to go fishing. But they're not fishing for trout. They're not fishing for bass. They're fishing for people. So I would ask you, if you would, to follow along. We're going to be reading about five verses here, starting in Matthew chapter 4, 18. Again, this is the English Standard Version, just for fun. While they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Wow, there's so many things I'd like to talk about from this passage. But I kind of want to begin just asking the question, why? Why is Jesus wanting them to fish for people? Why is he calling them to fish for people? And I want to give you some biblical reasons. The first reason I want to give you is because people have lost their way, and Jesus wants them found. 
He verbalizes this in Luke chapter 19 in verse 10 where he speaks of himself as the son of man. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and to save. Do you see the last two words there? The lost. People have lost their way. They're not lost because God misplaced them. Like my coffee cup, I am forever losing this thing. If you've been in church long, see me in the lobby walking around, probably one out of five times I'm walking through the lobby and I'm saying, where'd I put my coffee cup? God doesn't have that problem. It's not that God lost track of them or misplaced them. It is that they have lost track. They are lost. They have lost their way. And if you don't feel like people are lost, then you're not watching. You're not paying attention. I do want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that maybe a couple little kids, Jesse's age, maybe a couple little kids from our church that age, the fisherman's age, are out playing in the backyard, and at the end of the backyard, there's some woods. And uh, they happen to go into the woods, and they disappear. And something comes out over the e-prayer line to you at Kerbinsville Alliance, an email prayer line, and it says, hey, there's two kids from our church, and they went into the woods, and we don't know where they are. They're lost. I can tell you for absolute 100% sure, you would work to stop everything, and you would every able-bodied man and woman in this congregation would say, I'll go. I want to find them. We need to find them. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, because people are lost, and he invites us to be part of finding them. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a second answer to the why question. It's not just that people have lost their way. It's that people are headed toward destruction. And that might sound heavy-handed, but hang on, it's going to get heavier. People are headed toward destruction. Again, when you look at the world that we live in, it's really hard to think that, that we are following what Abraham Lincoln called our better angels. Oh, man. We see it at society, in society at large, don't we? just that people are headed to destruction. And you probably see it in individual people, maybe people that you know, maybe people that you love. You and I know people whose lives are, and we use this phrase so much it becomes cliche, that guy's a train wreck, right? We see it all the time. Their lives are a mess. We, we know people that maybe their life isn't a mess. Maybe their locomotive is in perfect working order going down the tracks, but the tracks are going nowhere. They have all their act together, all their ducks in a row, everything's great, but inside they're empty and filled with little more than misery. We see it again and again and again. And beyond that, beyond just having a life that isn't what it should be here on earth, beyond that, there's the issue of eternity, of heaven and hell. You know, Jesus spoke about hell. He spoke about hell a lot. Hell was a big issue for Jesus. And here is the Understatement of the morning. Jesus went to great lengths to help people avoid hell. Is that not an understatement? A huge understatement. And yet sometimes, people like you and me, we have trouble believing that there could be such a place as hell. When I have that problem, like, really? Do you think there's, is there really a hell? When that little voice inside of my head asks that question of itself, I I think, of, I think of things like what happened just this past month in El Paso, Texas. Homeland Security investigation, El Paso locates and recovers. Seventy missing children 
in a multi-agency operation. Trafficking victims, age 10 through 17, kids. And I ask myself a lot of questions when that happens, but one of the questions I ask myself is, what are they going to do with those traffickers, the bad guys? Do you think that our legal system really is adequate to give them what they deserve? <laughs> and even if it is, even if you believe, like, yeah, I think we have, and I do, the finest legal system in the world. I really do feel we have that. Is, is it enough? And what about, what about the traffickers that HSI didn't get? What about them? Are they just going to go without a slap on the wrist? And cases like that scream for justice. Can a loving God just look the other way when stuff like that happens? Can a just God, a judicial God, the judge of all the earth, as Abraham calls him, can he just close his eyes to that? Generally, all of us, when we consider that, we want to see justice served in those cases. But but when it comes to our friends and ourselves, we sometimes feel like, you know what, I don't know. I don't know that a loving God would would ever send anyone to hell. A loving God would forgive. My son-in-law was telling me about a conversation he had with someone, and in that conversation, the question was, well, I think if God's all-powerful, he can just forgive regardless. Why can't God just forgive? Why can't God just fix them? Why can't God just make them not bad? Why can't God make them into good people? Here's a sentence. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to heal damaged people. One of the clearest thinkers of the last century, C.S. Lewis, wrote this to those who object to the doctrine of hell, saying it makes God look like a bad guy. Listen, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Listen to how Lewis responds to that. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing over every difficulty and offering miraculous help? (laughs) But he has done so at Calvary. That's exactly what the cross is for. And when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, he is calling us to find people who have lost their way. He's calling us to find people who are headed toward destruction and to help them turn away from death to life to turn to him, just like you and I did, just like we did. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I told you at the start, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture. The next one is John 3.16. Actually, not 16, it's 14, 15, 16, and 17. So you might want to turn your Bibles there. I'll have part of this on the screen, but not all of this on the screen. Because I want to talk about the question of what is God actually calling us to do here? And in John 3, Jesus speaks of that in some detail. In verse 14, he refers to an incident in the Old Testament in the times of Moses when the people were going to die and God instructed Moses to do the weirdest thing, to take a snake and attach it to a pole and hang it up on the pole and anyone who looked to the snake on the pole that has been lifted up, they'll be healed. That's just a weird Bible story, right? 
Jesus refers to that, indicating, in my mind at least, that that was a picture of him. Let's just read it. It's in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That phrase, be lifted up, means being lifted up onto the cross to die for our sins. And you notice that he came, look again at the screen at verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So what is he calling us to do as fishers of men? He is calling us to help others discover the life that he gives, the gift that he gives. You know, Pastor Bernie Neffley, (laughs) right? He's our buddy, Pastor Bernie. He fills in for me often when I'm gone. You know, he's traveling across the country. When he told a group of the pastors that he's hanging out with, hey, I'm going, taking... At least a month this summer, I'm going to go out west. We all looked at each other like, what if we need pulpit supply? We won't know what to do, right? As he's traveling out there, he has a trailer that he kind of made. He and his wife are kind of roughing it in a homemade trailer. And on the back of that trailer, he has this thing that he made. It says, Hope. Can you see it? Hope has a name. And if you watch the video that accompanied that, that he puts on YouTube and on Facebook, you know he says, the name is Jesus. What's that doing on the back of your trailer, Bernie? Oh, man. If I were a gambling man, I would bet the house that that's on the back of his trailer so he can start conversations in campgrounds. I want to start conversations in campgrounds. Why? Because I'm fishing. I'm fishing for men. God is calling us to find people who are without him and to show them that he loves them, and to give them hope. Because a life without Jesus is a life without hope. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Eventually, someone's going to ask this question. So, who is Jesus calling to do the fishing? Is it just a select few, or is it like all the Christians? Is it everybody? Well, if you look at verse 19, it says... And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the them is Peter and Andrew. And a little bit later, when he calls the second group, it's James and John. It's specific people that he's calling. So someone may ask, is this call to be fisher of men? Is it to every Christ follower or is it just to, just to a select few? And my answer is, uh-huh. Yeah. My answer is Both that it is a call for select few, and it is a call for everyone. Did you hear that? It is a call for all of us. Fishing for men is a call for all of us at one level or another. Now, if you indulge me and let me tell my story, I think I can illustrate that it's a call for everyone, and it's a specific call as well. Since my childhood, I have been involved in fishing for people. I did it by participating with my family in something as simple as praying for missionaries. My parents were smart by the time I came along. 
They had devotions while I was eating breakfast. Mom would read maybe the Bible, and she'd read the, the daily bread, and then Dad would pray or they'd switch roles. I'm just eating the whole time. But I'm praying in my heart because I'm not stupid. And I'm listening with my heart. And they prayed all the time for missionaries. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a call for me. It's a call for my family. It's a call for everyone. Just praying. I also gave, as a child, I gave to the work of the ministry. I got a huge allowance. All my friends were jealous. I got a dollar a week. Even back then in the 60s, that was pretty paltry, right? Saving for a stereo, it took me 17 years. I'd say to my mom, I need my dollar this week in dimes. Anybody know why? Because, although I didn't always do it, (laughs) real God, real life, real people, I didn't always do it. I tried to give a tenth to the Lord. And a tenth of a dollar is a dime. I'd put it in a little envelope and I'd put my name on it and I'd lick it. At the end of the year, the treasurer sent me a receipt. (laughs) You know what I was doing? Fishing. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was a call for me, it was a call for everyone. My family was very active in inviting people to come to church, particularly when there would be what they used to call evangelistic meetings. Some of you know Rock Dilliman. I knew his dad, Howard Dilliman. Howard Dilliman was a gifted lay evangelist. He had great stories. He had a powerful way to speak. And my family would invite friends to come and hear Howard Dilliman at church. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It was a call for my family. It was a call for me. We were fishing for men. My mom, particularly my mom, (laughs) would tell people about Jesus. We were down at, uh, I don't know, wherever Day of Discovery was filmed in Florida, a beautiful floral area down there with uh, gardens you can walk through and a, a lake with speedboat races on it and skiers jumping off of ramps and everything else. And I'm probably 10 years old and I'm sitting beside them Uh, beside mom and dad, and my mom starts talking to this woman next to her, and I'm listening, and the woman has just lost a child, an older child. There's Mary Shields. Did you have the Lord to help you through that? She's fishing. The rest of us are watching the skiers. Have you seen them do those loops over those ramps? Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. Her best friend's name was Louise Brocious. Louise didn't go to church. They were good friends. Dad worked with Louise's husband. We'd get together every now and again. Louise got cancer. She was coming to the end of her days. My mom said to me, uh, I'm going to go over and see Louise. I said, what time are we leaving? It was a summer day. What time are we leaving? She said, you're not going. I said, okay. Why? I need to talk to her about Jesus. And she led Louise to Christ. I got a feeling that when when mom died, there was one woman that really wanted to see her. Say thanks. Thanks for being a fisher of men. That call was for my mom. That call was for me. It was the call's the call. Follow me, Jesus says. I will make you fishers of men. But there is another sense, another call that is different 
Did you hear the word I just used? Different. Did you notice I didn't say it was better? Did you notice I didn't say it was more important? Did you notice I didn't say it was deeper? Did you notice I didn't say it was a higher call? It's just a different call. Through my later teen years, this is hard to explain, but in my later teen years, I had this feeling that God was calling me to serve differently. Now, I went to a Christian and Missionary Alliance church that talked about missions every time we turned around, but I knew I'm not called to missions. I never once felt an inkling that I was called to missions. However, I did have this feeling, a feeling that no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't squash it, that I was called to be a pastor. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I did not want to do that. (laughs) Not at all. And one night along that journey, I was reading Jesus' words to Peter after the resurrection in John 21, and this is Another passage. I told you we'd had three. It's actually four. You don't have to turn to this one. I'll put most of it on the screen. In John chapter 21, verse 15, I'm sitting there reading that. I'm reading it out of a New American Standard Bible. I can still feel in my mind the fake leather of that Bible as I'm reading, right? And, and, and it says this in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then in verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then in verse 17, the next verse says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I know that that interaction is rich with meaning, and I know you can look at the different Greek words for love and everything else as you're going through that. But the bottom line is, Jesus is talking to Peter. I'm holding a Bible in my hand, and I have to look twice to make sure, because I could have swore, instead of saying, Simon, do you love me? It actually said, Stephen, do you love me? I mean, it was so profound. I can't explain it. I said this was hard to explain, right? I can't explain it. It was like, does that say Simon or Stephen? Feed my sheep. (laughs) So after running away for a while, here I stand. (laughs) Saying yes to the call was one of the best things I've ever done. I will make you fish. Oh, let me say this. That interaction with God was as real and as clear as the words on the screen are before you right now. It was unmistakable. I will make you fishers of men is a call for me. I will make you fishers of men is a call for you. I will make you fishers of men is a call for us. We're called to fish for people. Now I would ask you to turn to the final passage we're going to look at. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. I'm only going to put a couple of those verses on the screen. You can either listen as I read it or you could follow along. It's your call. We're going to talk about the question, how do we fish for people? And I thought about putting Jesse's picture up there again and just say, do the same thing, but don't use worms. I don't know. But actually, these three things I'm going to tell you, they're kind of random. They're just kind of things that came to me as I was putting putting this together. And, And the first thing I would say to you is we fish for people intentionally. 
It's not going to happen if you're not intending to do it. I mentioned to Pastor Dick Sternagel, a Lutheran guy here in town. I was preaching on this message. Dick and I chat in Facebook chat regularly. He sends me cartoons of Snoopy and things like that, and I send him things as well. And I happen to say to him, hey, I'm, I'm preaching on that passage. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he writes back, remember, you must use the right bait to lure them. I said, well, Dick, do you have any recommendations? He said, cheese balls. <laughs> So I just want to tell you, if you want to catch a Lutheran pastor, cheese balls will do it, right? That's what you're looking for. Uh, Be intentional. You fish for people intentionally. I intentionally look for places to share the gospel in almost every conversation I have with someone who doesn't know Jesus. I, I, I pray before I have lunch with someone. If you ever see me getting out of my car and I'm headed toward Ethan's, a restaurant there in Clearfield, and, and I'm walking along and you say, hey, Pastor Steve, and I don't answer you, it's number one, it's because I'm a little bit spacey at times. But number two, it's also because, God, I really want to be able to be clear because I get a chance to talk to this guy. Help me not to screw it up. Give me the right words to say. Let me do it right. I pray when I'm going to lunch with someone. I pray if I'm stopping by someone's office. I pray when I go into the nursing home. I pray when I have people as guests in my home. I pray because I am intentional about what I am to do. And if you want to think about that intentionality, you can see it with clarity in a passage I just ask you to turn to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul, listen to this first phrase, for Christ's love compels us. Here's what he's saying. The love of Christ is so big that there's something about it. It's like a magnet that just draws me in this direction of being a fisher of men. Listen again. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And then in verse 16, catch this phrase. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What does that mean? We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Well, if I'm not regarding them from a worldly point of view, then maybe I'm regarding them from a heavenly point of view. Maybe from a spiritual point of view. Maybe I'm noticing that they're eternal beings. Maybe I'm noticing that they're lost. Maybe I'm noticing that they're headed for destruction. And maybe I'm intentional about how I interact with them. Look at verse 17 as as it continues. He kind of explains why we become intentional in conversations. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, that's a phrase, isn't it? When did he ever give us the ministry of reconciliation? When he said, Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what he's doing. He's giving us that ministry. The ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you have a life verse? You know, a lot of people say, my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He will direct your paths. My life, that's a great life verse. Great life verse. What you're looking at on the screen, that is my life verse. It is a reason I live and breathe. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fish intentionally. Now, I told you these are kind of random. It just came to me. The first point, you fish for people intentionally. The second is you do it intelligently. And I think the reason this came to me is because I've seen people do it so poorly. You know? <laughs> so poorly. I intend to pe- give people Jesus or a glimpse of him. I do not intend to give them church. I do not intend to give them religion. I do not intend to give them a formula. And though I believe that it is incredibly valuable for them to pray a prayer before God out loud right there in front of me, I am not giving them the words to say or some kind of magic phrase to say. I just want to give them Jesus, the gentle Savior, gentle and lowly. Do you know there's only one time that Jesus describes himself in all the Gospels? And that time when he actually says, I am like this, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's what I want to give him. That, that Jesus. Years ago, I was hanging out with a bunch of guys. Just a bunch of us standing out in the evening in front of the building we'd just come out of. And uh, as we're standing there, one of them, who was from a church, not my church, but he was from a church, and he knew me and I knew him just casually, didn't know him well. He looked around and he saw a buddy of his, we'll call him Joey. He saw Joey and he thought, I'm going to do some fishing. And he immediately enlisted me as his wingman without telling me he was going to do this. This happens to pastors from time to time, right? With a bunch of other guys standing around, he loudly started pressuring his friend to come to church with words like these. Joey, you know, you need to start coming to church. I haven't seen you at church. How are you going to get into heaven if you're not coming to church? Pastor Steve, tell him. Tell him he needs to start coming to church. Tell him he needs to get saved. Pastor Steve, tell him he's going to hell if he doesn't. And that accomplished absolutely nothing except for making me really angry and really sad all at the same time. Oh, it did accomplish something for Joey. Basically, and I'm embellishing the story, but basically, Joey said, that's why I don't come to church and walked away. I guess the reason I'm saying you fish for people intelligently is because you can do it stupidly. And when I'm saying to do it intelligently, I don't mean you have to get real sophisticated about it. Russ Trumbull, he's no doubt gone to be with the Lord. He called me one time and said, Pastor, my good friend, we'll call him Joey too, how about that? Ah, let's not get confused, Billy. My good friend Billy is dying in a hospital with cancer and they say he's got just a couple days left. Would you... Would you go with me and in, in to, to tell him about Jesus? Well, I had just led someone to Christ the previous day, and I thought, yeah, I'm a brand new pastor, by the way. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. So I went in, man, and I explained the gospel right off of the outline that I'd memorized it from, right? And it was D. James Kennedy, so, buddy, the dots on the eyes were right where they belong, and the T's, they were crossed perfectly. And I got to the end, and I said, does that make sense to you? And Billy says, no. So I went, stage two, Boom, I'm going to run this track again, and I ran it again. Does that make sense to you? No. I did it a third time. No. Doesn't make sense. Now I'm desperate. I look at Russ, and look, Russ, I don't even know if he graduated from high school. Russ Trumbull was his name. He was a good man. He, he, was, just a, he was just an average Joe, you know? 
And I said, Russ, can you help, can you help me out here? Because I'm desperate. And Russ said to the guy, yeah, just ask Jesus to forgive you. The guy said, I understand that. <laughs> and I think that guy, I think that Billy and Russ are both in heaven today. They're probably saying, do you remember that time that idiot young pastor tried to do something? Right? So when I say do it intelligently, I'm not saying it has to be real sophisticated. I'm just saying know the fish. The intelligent fisherman knows the fish. And he knows not to scare them away. And he knows not to get too close and don't let your shadow cast over the water because you'll scare them. Just think. Use your head. Do it intelligently. I will make you fishers of men. Just give you one more here. You fish intentionally. You fish intelligently. And you fish cooperatively. And Jesus speaks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.6. No, Jesus isn't speaking there, is he? <laughs> Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, when he says, I plant a seed, another guy kind of like me named Apollos, he waters it, but God is the one who makes it grow. Heard a great illustration about this one time. It was so cool. It was so cool. I was at Mahaffey Camp before Men's Link existed. It was called the Men's Retreat. And uh, Fred Jensen was there. He was a lay speaker, and he was a fisherman extraordinaire. I mean, when he fished, he brought in nets full. He was just a really gifted lay evangelist. And so he's telling us about, he's telling us a story. It just stuck with me. He said, uh, he said, I'm standing in the checkout line at this small grocery store. And there's people behind me and a guy in front of me, a guy in front of me gets done and I, uh, my stuff's on the conveyor belt. And, and the clerk looks sad. And, and so I look at the clerk and, and I just say, how you doing? She says, not good. And I said, what's wrong? And she told him what was wrong. He said, well, are you a Christ follower? Do you know Jesus? The clerk said, no. And Fred said, well, you might want to give that some thought because he cares about what you're going through. He cares about you. He loves you and gave himself for you. And the clerk said, you talk a lot like my brother-in-law. At that point, Fred quit telling the story for a minute. And he looked at those men who were gathered there and he said, and at that moment, I knew I was standing dead center in someone's prayers. Right? You get that? And I have to cooperate with whatever her brother-in-law has been telling her. And he said, listen, there are people waiting in line here. Do you have a break soon? I'll hang around and maybe we could talk. And the clerk looked at the people in line and said, they'll wait. And he explained, Christ has died for you. When he was on the cross, he was paying for all your guilt and all your shame. And he wants you to open your heart to him and say, please forgive me. And to receive him as your own, as your best friend and as your Lord and as your Savior. And you can do that if you will speak to him in prayer right now. And she prayed out loud in the checkout line to receive Christ as her Savior. Thank God (laughs) for the brother-in-law. Thank God for Fred. Thank God for the ability to cooperate with people you don't even know. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do your part and fish, because you never know when you're standing in someone else's prayer. I don't fish much these days, but I fished a lot. I was thinking about that, Laurel. Almost every night that you went to work as a waitress, when we were students at Tacoa Falls, 
I was out fishing. Remember that? I kind of made a list. Clarion River, Pimatuming, Allegheny River, Susquehanna River, Lake Erie, Red House Lake, Lake Chautauqua, several lakes in Canada, lakes north of North Bay, the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, the headwaters of the Chattahoochee, not way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, but the headwaters of the Chattahoochee, and every pond I could find as a kid. I've done a lot of fishing, but I'm going to tell you, the coolest fishing I've ever done is when I fished for men. And it didn't matter if I was a pastor doing them or if I was a kid just cooperating. And it didn't matter if I had all the doctrine straight as it could be or if I was Russ Trumbull just saying, you need to just ask Jesus to forgive you. He died for you. The fishing is good. And the catch is important. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I want to pray that that would be a call to you at whatever level he wants it to be. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. I don't know why I got so emotional today. That's kind of weird, huh? But I heard someone say yesterday at a graduation party that the more you grow in Christ, the more emotional you become. That might scare you off, but don't let it. The only bad thing about it is sniffing. The sniffing leaves something to be desired. Drew, would you quit making noise? I'm trying to preach here. No worries, man. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it's probably Bob. <laughs> it was Bob. <laughs> okay, I'll let's regroup. You. Here we are. Okay. First off, I just want you to notice, it's 10 minutes till 12. I'm going to have you stand here for 10 minutes. No, here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what I'd love to see. I would just love to see you say, Jesus, I hear you saying, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I don't know what that looks like, but I'll do whatever it is because I want to. I want to follow you. So let's bow our hearts. We'll pray that short prayer. Lord Jesus, we hear you say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We know that is a universal call and it is a very specific call. However you are calling us in whatever manner you are presenting that call to us, we say yes. yes. We say yes. Help us do it intentionally. Help us to do it intelligently. Help us to do it cooperatively. Help us to do it by the power of your spirit who lives in those who believe. In Christ's name, amen.